this. I've said it before on this program, and I'll say it again. You can only push people so far before they won't take it anymore. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the National Preview Online podcast, the NPO podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can now do so in one of four easy ways. You can either go to the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store and simply search out the NPO podcast, click subscribe. You can also go to either of those two app stores and search out the Podbean app, which is a free app. It's our hosting service. Search out the NPO podcast and click subscribe. Or you can now go to YouTube because through a social media link, we now have our podcast linked to YouTube. So the instant that we post an episode up to podbean.com, a short while later, Podbean generates a static image, turning it into a video, and you can listen to the show by subscribing to the YouTube channel, the NPO podcast, or simply searching out every episode. So if you're one of those people that doesn't want any more additional apps than you already have, and you're comfortable with searching on YouTube, and you like the way you can make comments on YouTube, it's just generally easier for you to use, rather than have to learn how to use a new uh, hosting service or a new podcast aggregator app, and don't even have to bother with the native podcast aggregator app on your iPhone. You can do it through YouTube. So you have no excuse. So please subscribe. Please leave reviews. The more reviews we get, the more uh, subscriptions we get, the more positive comments we get, the faster the show will grow, and the more we'll be able to offer to you. So we'd like to think that Governor Gray, uh, not Governor Gray, Governor Gavin Newsom's days are limited. Uh, The recall petition, which has faced every governor in California since 1960, has succeeded. There's going to be a recall election against Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, It's September 14th of this year. Now, prior to this time, although every governor since 1960 in California has faced a formal recall petition, only one of those was successful. The one against then-Governor Gray Davis, who was replaced by Arnold Schwarzenegger. The September 14 date for the recall election was announced earlier this month by Lieutenant Governor Eleni Konalakis, a Democrat, who said the election could cost $276 million. And I would argue that the $276 million the election could cost is a far lower number than what the mismanagement of our largest state by population on the part of Governor Gavin Newsom has cost. It's more than past time for Governor Newsom, that hypocrite, to go. As you recall, he was having dinner at an extremely expensive restaurant while the rest of California was locked down, no social distancing, and then he tried to apologize for it only after he got caught. You think he'd be out there apologizing if he hadn't gotten caught? So we'll be looking uh, at what's happening out there. The only interesting point is that Larry Elder, the famous black conservative commentator who had thrown his hat into the ring, is being excluded by the California Secretary of State. If they don't add him, he plans to sue. So we'll be following that and giving you uh, more news as as that becomes available. But uh, there's not just that going on. There's interesting news in California. I found this very interesting. You know, the transgender movement is out of control. Uh, 
And now there's all manner of laws that are trying to create new rights for transgender people. The state of New York has even created a law. We're going to get to that in a second. But getting back to California, a California appeals court has struck down a state law that was designed to penalize workers um, that worked in the elder care industry for using pronouns inconsistent with the patient's long to, um, the patient's claimed gender identity. In other words, if a senior citizen was in a nursing home and he's a he's a he, but he thinks he's a she and wishes to be called by Miss or Mrs. and you call them Mister, this is now uh, termed a, a form of abuse according to this law. Uh, um, the court struck it down because they say that gender identity is a disputed concept and a lack of linguistic clarity has clouded the issue in recent years as the concepts of sex and sexual identity or gender are politically and scientifically contentious concept whose definition isn't universally agreed upon have become difficult to separate. Despite the distinct meaning of the two words, many institutions and individuals use gender to mean biological sex especially on fileable forms and documents. I think that's a, a pretty good way to go, don't you? I mean, if you have a penis, I would say you're a man. If you have a vagina, I would say you're a woman. And if you're one of those rare individuals who has both, I would say you're a hermaphrodite. But beyond that, there are two genders, men and women, and there's nothing in between. Sorry to hurt your feelings or insult you, but you the people who have a penis dangling between your legs and think that you're a woman, you're suffering from a body dysmorphic disorder. In other words, you're a nut job. You're no different than the anorexic or bulimic girl who looks in the mirror, sees a fat person when she's nothing but skin and bones and is ready to die from starvation at any moment and is vomiting up her food. She has a body dysmorphic disorder. She looks in the mirror and sees a fat person when she's skinny. You look in the mirror and you see a woman when you are in fact a man, or you look in the mirror and see a man when you are in fact a woman. It's no different, and the fact that you see something doesn't make it so. So, uh, and that's not my opinion. That is the opinion of Dr. McHugh, Dr. Paul McHugh, who was the former head of psychiatry at John Hopkins University, the first university in this country to perform sex change operations, which are now euphemistically called gender reassignment surgeries. Interestingly, John Hopkins University no longer performs the operation. They refuse to do so because their long-term research and case studies following people who have had the surgery found that they're no happier, no better well-adjusted than people who didn't opt for surgery and opted for therapy instead. And he said the amputation of healthy body parts in order to achieve a result that is no better than that which could have been achieved without the amputation of those healthy body parts and simple therapy does not justify the amputation of healthy body parts. So I'm glad to see that the appeals court in California had something to say about this. Uh, but they're really trying to make this something that's going to stick. If you don't use the appropriate gender um, and the new meaning of how gender is interpreted by these blue states, it can cost you something. New York has a human rights law banning gender identity discrimination, and this law can impose fines 
of up to a quarter of a million dollars for failing to use a person's preferred personal pronouns. Twitter bans users for, quote, misgendering or deadnaming transgender people. In case you didn't know, if you're a transgender person, if you were a man who thinks he's a woman and wants to be called by a woman's name, the name that you were born with, your legal name, that's your dead name, see? Uh, and categorizing it, they, they categorize this as harassment and abuse. So Twitter bans you if you call a man a man who wants to be called a woman. Dead naming is that practice. For instance, calling Caitlyn Jenner, it says, by uh, Bruce Jenner. Now, Facebook, they've really taken Twitter to task. They've beaten them out. Facebook reportedly recognizes at least 58 different genders, allowing users to select which gender to use in their profile descriptions. Are you ready for this? Among these genders, androgynous, bigender, cisgender, gender fluid, I guess that means that you can kind of like change back and forth as you wish. Sort of like liquid, assuming the shape and identity of its container. Gender queer, I like that one. Non-binary, pangender, trans, and two-spirit. That kind of sounds like a rum that should come along on the shelf next to Maker's Mark, two-spirit. But this is something we're going to use for genders now. But in a rare legal defeat for the transgenderism movement, a ruling by the Court of Appeal of the State of California 3rd Appellate District sided with First Amendment speech protections over the activists. The ruling by the three-judge panel was unanimous. The court decision in taking offense versus State of California <laughs> came on July 16th. Now, taking offense is an informal group of state taxpayers. The court decision affects the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, LB, LGBT in other words, long-term care facility residents' Bill of Rights, which the California legislature added to the state's health and safety code in 2017. Uh, I'm reading from an article here from the Epic Times. The state senator, Scott Weiner, a Democrat, said that he wrote the bill because LGBT seniors face special challenges that weren't covered by existing laws in nursing homes. He said he had received reports of these people being mistreated. Quote, we have a number of advocacy organizations that are very excited about the bill that helped us get it passed, and they are definitely putting the word out that people living in long-term care facilities have these protections and should be aware of them. This new law, this Health and Safety Code Section uh, 1439.51, prohibits staff members of long-term care facilities from willfully and repeatedly referring to a facility resident by other than the resident's preferred name or pronoun when clearly informed of the name and pronoun. Taking offense challenged that provision, arguing that it violates care facility staff members' rights to free speech free exercise of religion, and freedoms of thought and belief, and it is vague and overbroad. The court said it recognized the legislature's legitimate and laudable goal of rooting out discrimination against LGBT residents in long-term facilities, but stated we agree with taking offense that the pronoun provision is a content-based restriction of speech that does not survive strict scrutiny. The pronoun provision, whether enforced through criminal or civil penalties, is over-inclusive in that it restricts more speech than is necessary to achieve the government's compelling interest 
in eliminating discrimination, including harassment, on the basis of sex. Rather than prohibiting conduct and speech amounting to actionable harassment or discrimination, as those terms are legally defined, the law criminalizes even occasional isolated offhand instances of willful misgendering, provided there has been at least one prior instance, without requiring that such occasional instances of misgendering amount to harassing or discriminatory conduct. This is ridiculous. So there's hope. If the state of California has an appellate division panel that's willing to make a decision like this, we can expect better treatment in redder parts of the country. And really, when it comes to this, this is nothing more than common sense. It shouldn't have to come down to whether the state is red or blue. It should come down to the undeniable reality that there are two genders. And you can delude yourself all you want that there are more than two, but the reality is there's only two. There's men and there's women, and that's it. So... Get over it. Wake up. In more news, we have a couple of other things that are happening. Um, I told you about recall elections. I told you about Trump's popularity, as evidenced by that episode we highlighted last week at Yankee Stadium, where in a bluest of cities, in one of the bluest of boroughs, um, we had people imploring a man who had his MAGA hat stolen and returned to him by the police to put it back on, and people were cheering Trump 2024, and it was people of minority extraction doing this. Uh, People are becoming more and more aware that the election was stolen, and evidence of this is growing more numerous in multiple locations on a daily basis. Wisconsin now is the latest to jump in the fray. A Wisconsin lawmaker now calls for a full forensic audit after Georgia-Arizona updates. State Representative Timothy Rathman, he's a Republican, has formally requested a more comprehensive audit from former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, who was leading a review of the election at the behest of Wisconsin Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, along with retired police officers and the Legislative Audit Bureau, which lawmakers authorized earlier this year to investigate the election. Rathman is pushing for the forensic audit after reviewing recently released information from two counties. An election integrity group presented ballot images this week, they said, show provable fraud occurred in the 2020 hand count audit in Fulton County, Georgia. Additionally, the county double-scanned nearly 200 ballots. Meanwhile, auditors conducting a forensic audit in Arizona's largest county said during a hearing this past Thursday that they uncovered major concerns about some 100,000 ballots. The auditors are seeking more items, including Splunk logs from Maricopa County officials who vigorously contest the irregularity claims. Quote, it is vital to our democratic process that the Wisconsin legislature acknowledges the alarming information that threatens the very fabric of our society. This according to Representative Rathman, whom I mentioned before, or Ramthan, sorry. Quote, continue, he continues, in order to preserve our God-given rights and ensure that citizens can have confidence in the integrity of our elections, I am requesting it be added to the scope of the Wisconsin audit to inspect 
paper mail-in ballots in Wisconsin's 5th Congressional District. Review the digital files of the ballots to make sure no double scanning occurred and thoroughly examine cybersecurity aspects of election equipment to make sure no tampering took place. If any of these indicators are found, these ballots should be separated from the official ballots and a chain of custody investigation into the origin of any fraudulent ballots should take place. All fraudulent ballots should not be counted. You would ought to say it's crucial that lawmakers in Wisconsin acknowledge the evidence put forth in Arizona and Georgia and alleged everyone would benefit from an audit because it could support claims that the election was run securely, or it could show that the election was run insecurely. In other words, you need to know that you can rely on the elections you have. And I've told you before, this notion that Trump is unpopular is not true, and it's not borne out by the evidence. An unpopular president doesn't increase his vote total in his re-election bid. His vote total goes down. The ever-popular, according to the media, Barack Obama, I've told you on this show before, was re-elected uh, by a comfortable margin with three million fewer votes than he got in 2008 when he originally ran. President Trump increased his vote total by over 12 million. Where did this dissatisfaction come from? Where did these 80 million votes that Joe Biden allegedly got come from? Oh, these are all the people that were dissatisfied with Trump. Not true. You can't have all these people dissatisfied with Trump when 12 million more people voted for him the second time around than the first time around. It indicates that the effect of his presidency was to win people over to his side and to his agenda, not to push them away or repel them. I told you how this was done. Voter apathy in this country is a well-known fact. Election turnouts at, at federal level elections, not local elections, the ones that occur every two years, have something on the order of 60 some odd percent, sometimes 50 some odd percent. In presidential years, 60 some odd percent. That means almost 40 percent of the population or 30 in the high 30s don't even bother to vote. They don't even bother to vote. And they're probably the ones that bitch and moan the loudest. Well, in some of these counties in democratically controlled states, particularly in the six states where all the monkey business took place, you had voter turnout that registered in the 80 and 90th percentiles. That's unheard of. So you know what happened. People that never voted, people who were dead, people who have moved out of state and registered someplace else, thanks to voter rolls that aren't updated, had mail-in ballots generated for them, absentee ballots generated for them. They were never mailed to those people. They were never filled out by those people. They were filled out on their behalf by the Democratic Party, and they were counted. And we know this because these stories are not just stories. They keep coming up more and more and more and more and more. We find more and more examples of thousands of ballots that were supposedly mailed in mailed in small envelopes that they could never have fit in without being folded. Yet they're in pristine conditions like the paper you put in your printer. Not a single crease in them. It's physically impossible 
to mail a ballot, fold it and put it in an envelope, and not have a crease. And the markings that were put on those ballots were not generated by hand by someone using a, a felt pen or an ink pen. They were printed on the ballots when they were, when they were drawn up because they needed them fast. When they saw how many votes Trump was getting, they needed them fast. They made a bunch in the beginning thinking that would be enough when they realized they didn't have enough because his lead was so extraordinary. They had to resort to printing them out. There wasn't simply enough time for them to print out blank ballots and have operatives fill them out with a pen. They couldn't do enough. So they already programmed the printers, which can work faster than a human being, to have the areas checkmarked, which is why there were so many ballots that came in in so many states that only had the presidential race checked off and no other. That in itself is highly suspect. All of a sudden, Joe Biden, the man who's retarded, the man who's got uh, dementia, the man who's a thief, the man whose son is a thief, who never left his basement, who they won't even trust to do a press conference, all of a sudden, he's uh, generating all of this loyalty that people are so motivated by this absentee candidate that they're going to vote for him despite him never having left the basement the entire campaign. That's how mobilizing he was as a force. The man can't even complete a grammatically correct sentence half the time. He doesn't even know where he is. So this thing is not going away, and eventually it's going to be proven, and the mainstream media is not going to be able to deny it, that the voting irregularities were there and that fraud was here. Now, before I go, there's one other little tidbit of information that you should know. You know, fighting this election reform that is nothing more than voter suppression on the part of Democrats trying to rep- suppress Republican votes. Um, there is no voter suppression on the part of Republicans. Asking someone to prove they are who they are is hardly voter suppression. When you fly in a plane, you have to prove who you are. You have to prove you're the ticket holder. When you buy alcohol, you have to prove you're 18. There's nothing wrong with asking people to prove who they are under certain circumstances. And certainly if we can require people to prove who they are when they fly, when they buy booze, we certainly should be able to require them to prove who they are when they vote for the leadership of this country. So we have a right to do these things. But there are other ways we can ensure our democracy, we can ensure that things we disagree with don't get supported beyond simply prevailing upon our elected officials to do so. We can use our pocketbook. I'm a big coffee drinker. I love coffee. It's probably my principal vice. I probably drink more of it than I should, but I just love it. And I'm also patriotic, as you know, if you've listened to this show. And so I was just about to sign up for a subscription of of that great coffee that everybody's talking about, Black Rifle Coffee. Now, Black Rifle Coffee, you've heard it hawked on the Sean Hannity show. Donald Trump himself endorsed it. Donald Trump Jr. endorsed it. Um, The New York Times has described it as the Starbucks of the right. It was founded in 2014 by three U.S. veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan, and it was designed to be pro-military, pro-firearm, pro-law enforcement, and anti-hipster. All of a sudden, it seems that the woke political culture has now hit Black Rifle Coffee. 
with them referring, according to this article in Newsmax this past weekend, to some of their customer base as a repugnant group of people. Let me read this article to you. I think you'll find it very interesting. The executives behind At Black Rifle Coffee, a coffee and lifestyle brand hugely popular with conservatives, have some choice words to describe part of its customer base, according to conservative journalism Andy Nigo. It was a tweet he sent out. Hailed by President Trump, I won't even repeat that, I just told you. The company doubled its sales last year by leaning into America's culture war. It's also trying to distance itself from some of its new customers. Quote, this is the CEO speaking now. What I figured out the last couple of years is that being really political, in the sense of backing an individual politician or any individual party, is really expletive, detrimental, really effing detrimental. This according to company, company CEO Evan Hafer, a former Green Beret and CIA contractor. It's detrimental to the company and is detrimental ultimately to my mission. Well, what exactly is your mission, Mr. Hafer? You were originally out there trying to be pro-gun, pro-firearm, pro-law enforcement, an anti-hipster. And so you had a customer base that was pro-military, pro-firearm, pro-law enforcement, and anti-hipster. What the hell is your problem? Now, Andy Nigo covered this even more. Uh, he took note of how the Times feature showed that Hafer and other founders were breaking from their conservative brand's target consumers. Hafer again. You can't let sections of your customer customers hijack your brand and say, this is who you are. It's like, no, no, we define that. Hayford defiantly told the crime, the times it's such a repugnant group of people. It's like the worst of American society. And I got to flush the toilet of some of those people that kind of hijacked portions of the brand. You self-righteous son of a bitch. You owe your brand to the pro-military pro-gun, pro-law enforcement, and anti-hipster people. That's who put you on the map. So it was okay when people like President Trump were endorsing you. Then it was okay. Then it wasn't detrimental to the company by uh, accepting the backing of an individual politician or individual party or individual host. It was okay when Sean Hannity was hawking you on his radio show every day. You know the type of conservative commentator Sean Hannity is. You know who his customer base is, who's listening to his show. You appealed to that brand, and now that you've gotten it, you can't stand it. You're nothing but a goddamn hypocrite, just like the pieces of crap who couldn't wait to tell their rich friends, these pretentious pieces of shit who live in Manhattan on the west side, who couldn't wait to tell their pretentious friends that they lived in the new Trump properties on Riverside Drive, the Trump properties that Trump built there after everyone said he would never get the zoning variances to change that area from an industrial zoning to residential zoning. Everybody couldn't wait to say, I live in Trump. I live in the Trump Tower. I live in Trump Plaza. I live in Trump this, Trump that. And these were the same people that when he ran for president and got elected, ran to their co-op boards like crying spoiled children begging them, demanding them to remove Trump's name from the building. 
you couldn't wait to tell everyone that you lived in Trump. And then when he became president, you couldn't stand it. It was convenient enough for you, Mr. Hafer, to pander and cater and to woo the conservative, the pro-gun, the pro-military, the pro-law enforcement population segment of this country when you were trying to build your brand and sell your, your coffee. And now all of a sudden you can't stand it. And so I ask all of you, if you subscribe to Black Rifle Coffee, tell them to stick the coffee and give themselves a coffee enema. Get rid of it. Tell your friends to get rid of it. From now on, Black Rifle Coffee is persona non grata at National Preview Online. We will denounce you, and we will never recommend anybody buy your coffee. You want some coffee? Buy Maxwell House. Unless we find out that they're supporting people we don't like, then we'll move to something else. There's no shortage of brands out there, ladies and gentlemen. Maxwell House, Folgers, Chock Full of Nuts. There's all matters of brand name coffee out there. Find some. Green Mountain Coffee. There's got to be one that's not supporting something you disagree with. And if not, hell, maybe we'll start our own coffee. Maybe we'll call it National Preview Online Coffee. If that's what we have to do, we'll do it. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.